Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Happy Wednesday, Gamecock fans. J.C. Sherbert here with you inside the Gamecocks podcast. Hope you're enjoying your hump day. I uh, hope you're uh, spending lots of time on the bigspur.com and on social media uh, with the coaching search. I know that when I look at the numbers, I think there's quite a few of you. Uh, and uh, I, I think that it's probably a good thing right now uh, that this is happening because, I, you know, it seems sort of the positivity has come back with the program. Uh, and I think that's that's related to hope. I think anytime you have change, it, it, it sometimes brings hope. Um, even when it's bad change, uh, you know, in life or whatever, uh, there's always that hope uh, th- that you can you can cling to. And I, and I think this is not bad change. It's positive change. Uh, and so I think that, uh, you know, it, it's refreshing to see, you know, some of you guys uh, fired up about Gamecock football again. I'll share a story. I was on a couple of Zoom calls with some of the podcasts uh, with Keith and uh, Eric Kimry last night. Uh, enjoyed that. All of you that are listening that were a part of that, I, I appreciate you guys having me and uh, getting to talk to you a little bit about all this. Um, and I mentioned something uh, from the standpoint of uh, what Connor Shaw said yesterday uh, during his press conference. Uh, and I'm going to expand on that a little bit. Uh, you know, Connor Shaw got up there. He's, he's a full-time coach now, uh, coaching the quarterbacks, helping with the offense. Um, you know, they put him on the field because, you know, there was a spot because Muschamp leaves, you can have 10 uh, now that Bobo's the head football coach. And, uh, you know, he said, look, you know, he has a lot of pride on the, the emblem on his chest. Um, and he talked about how this was a fun place. And it was a great job. And that so at some point, the players have to recognize that uh, and, and, and have fun. And, and it, was a, it was a message of hope. Uh, and I think that, you know, from my standpoint, after hearing that, um, I haven't felt as good about Gamecock football uh, as in that moment in a while. I, I didn't feel that good after Carolina beat Georgia last year in double overtime. Uh, in Athens and pulled probably that was the biggest win of the Muschamp era, looking back on it um, in terms of, you know, upsets and highly ranked teams and and all that stuff. So, you know, and I want to expand on that a little bit because I know that the players uh, from Muschamp's era took exception to the change. And there was a lot mentioned on social media uh, about, and for some reason, some high school coach that, that really has no business doing that, tweeted out like the the history of the program, you know, all that good stuff, blah, 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 blah. And, and, you know, he's a Clemson guy. And, you know, it's a shame that, you know, he sometimes has a highly ranked player uh, and you got to deal with people like that that want to, you know, focus on, you know, the broad rather than, you know, the last 20 years. And, and that's fine. Uh, but some of the players, you know, at, at Carolina were upset. Former players, guys in the NFL, Keyshawn Nixon, Brian Edwards, uh, with the Raiders, you know, they took exception to that. And it was it was really an interesting dynamic because you had those folks that felt that way. But then the guys from the Spurrier era started, you know, speaking out. Uh, Steven Garcia, Kelsey Quarles, uh, Tory Gurley, 
uh, were among the guys I read and, and they were like, no, you know, it, it's unacceptable. You know, Garcia said, I don't know, you know, what's this about seven wins? I don't know why you even play the game if you don't want to win. Tory Gurley recorded a nice uh, interview or I'm sorry, not an interview, a video that he put on his Twitter account. And Tory's been pretty critical, but uh, he said, look, you know, uh, you got to win. He's like, that, that, that was what we did. We, you know, when we were here, you know, we broke through and we didn't do all that just to let it go back and go bad. Uh, I've heard from other players from the Spurrier era that expressed the same sentiment. You know, even guys that maybe things didn't even work out that well for them at Carolina, <laughs> you know, but that played, you know, they all care about the program. Um, you know, hadn't heard from Melvin Ingram or Gilmore, or Alshon or Clowney. You know, but those guys, you know, those are kind of all pro guys or whatever. But I'm, I'm sure they kind of feel the same way. And it's not that none of them like – I mean, all those guys were welcomed under Muschamp and, and he, you know, promoted them or whatever, um, you know, because they were part of the, the Gamecocks. But uh, so it wasn't anything like that where they were estranged from the program. Uh, I just think that they set a standard and, and that was, that's now the minimum standard for this program, you know, and I'm not talking about 11 and two, I'm talking about, you know, the guys that were part of the sevens and six, seven and sixes. And, and, you know, it, that was a bad year. You know, in 2014, Carolina beat Florida, Georgia, and Miami uh, and, and blew three games that, you know, were baffling with the defense against Kentucky, Missouri, and Tennessee. Um, but that was not considered a good year. You know, right now, seven and six would, would be great. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, when, when you take Connor's comments and you take the comments of the players from the, the previous era – uh, I think what that does uh, is shows you there there is still a culture uh, of winning football affiliated with the South Carolina program, um, and that's not to say we 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 don't need to all sit here and go well everybody Muschamp recruited and everybody who played for Muschamp could just go get lost. I mean that's not good either. I mean that that's that's not because I'm sure there's some Muschamp guys that were you know embarrassed by the losing, but I, I do think this. I think that. Uh, that kind of shines a light on the difference between, you know, what was going on under Spurrier and what was going on under the previous regime. Uh, and it's interesting, you know, I don't think talent wise, you know, the Spurrier guys leaving the cycling out of the program. I don't think talent wise, it was a huge deal. I mean, obviously there's some exceptions like Debo Samuel and Hayden Hurst um, that were Spurrier recruits that played awfully well. Um, but I, I do think that it is interesting that when those guys started to cycle out, you know, all of a sudden it was four and eight and two and five. Um, and Steve Spurrier did a great job of putting emphasis on team, you know, and I don't know that Muschamp, I mean, I'm sure Muschamp did. I mean, he's not, you know, an idiot. He's not just sitting there going, ah, it doesn't matter if we win, we're going to develop you or whatever but I think it was the underlying focus, you know, a lot of times with some of these folks, um, you know, and, and I think you got to find a nice balance. So, you know, I, I think if you're a Gamecock, you're very encouraged by some of the former players from the, the good era, you know, stepping up and saying, no, 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 no. You can't throw seven, nine win seasons out of 140 years in our face because, 
you know, we had four of those, three of those, four of those, four nine-plus win seasons. Um, you guys had one, but it was, you know, with a lot of players that played for Steve Spurrier. Uh, so, you know, no, you know, that's the, the culture that was established here uh, was to win football games and, and, and go out and play your best as a team. Um, and so I, I think given that, you know, you can kind of apply it to the search and, and you kind of look at it and I'm going to, uh, I, I want to let you know, first and foremost, I don't have a favorite for the search. Um, you know, last time uh, I got on board with the Will Muschamp train because it was explained to me that, you know, here's how he's going to make this work at South Carolina. Um, and the first thing, you know, Kurt Roper gets hired as the offensive coordinator. Now, Kurt Roper, uh, when you listen to his plan and you, you see him draw it up on the chalkboard, uh, you think you were talking to Andy Reid. Uh, but when he got in the game, he couldn't call the plays. And that's important, you know. Uh, I, I think Will Muschamp, we've had he brought Bobby Bentley with him from Auburn and made him the OC and say, Bobby, this is your offense. This is what we're going to do. We're going to be different and fast and, you know, pretty wide open spread. Um. I think things may be, may have turned out a lot different. You know, if he'd had a coordinator like Mike Bobo from the beginning, things would have turned out a lot different, but uh, you know, I, I think when Will took the job, uh, he was chomping at the bit to prove everybody wrong that the issues at Florida were Florida. And you know what, up until he lost the game at Florida in 2018, you know, South Carolina was kind of on an upward trajectory under him. That was two short years ago. Um, but when you're an unpopular hire, you better keep it above water and you can't let it go backward um, because people aren't going to, you know, and I don't even know that if he was a popular hire and didn't have the Florida thing that going backward like this wouldn't have, you know, caused some problems. And I think we're also looking at that, you know, whereas the, the talent level that Spurrier left behind and he left a lot of holes in the roster. I mean, come on, you, you got to admit, you know, they left one receiver, <laughs> uh, kind of sounds familiar, uh, and that's inexcusable. That was, that was as inexcusable as this this deal here that, that, with receiver that they're going through. Um, left very few running backs, although uh, Bentley got a lot out of A.J. Turner and Mon Denson, and, you know, they did leave David Williams, but Rico Dowdle, there's a reason Rico Dowdle started as a true freshman. Uh, they didn't leave any quarterbacks but Perry Orth, uh, and and Connor Mitch, they did leave Connor Mitch, but you know it was thin. Look, let's just be honest; it was thin. It said thin in the secondary, um, and, and and so Muschamp did blend some players there. But but I think you know it, it, it's not really talent that, that they were missing when those guys left, but but kind of the uh, that type of culture. And, and we've said for a long time, and, and I'll still say this, the culture uh, in the building is healthy uh, in terms of things like guys do what they're supposed to do. They go to class, they make good grades, they come to workouts, they, they're, you know, they're enthusiastic, they practice hard. Um, and I think those things all feed into culture, but I also think that, you know, sometimes there's, there's a, a focus uh, on, on what to do uh, besides just, you know, let's work our butts off and go out there and win. I think, you know, sometimes you got to, you know, play to the psyche of, of today's generation Z, uh, you know, the, the 18 to 22 year olds. And, you know, these guys are different than guys my age, you know, when I was that age, I couldn't just 
look on the internet and fact check you in real time. And, 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 you know, there was nothing that bred a lot of skepticism. Uh, and so you, you've got to be able to reach those guys. And I think Muschamp did in terms of things like individual responsibility, which is important and a lost art these days, you know, things like do what you're supposed to do, you know, things like I'm going to support you as a coach, no matter what, you know, those things are all very healthy and good, but those are also individual things. And, and so we, uh, you know, we look at it, you know, so there's like a, a team uh, culture that you have to establish. And, you know, Spurrier was good at that. that that's the, that's the underrated thing about Steve Spurrier looking back on it is, you know, great play caller, head ball coach, swagger. But the psychological approach to coaching with him uh, was way different. But it was also right. You know, I was told multiple times, the great thing about Steve Spurrier is he doesn't put pressure. He he hates losing and loves to win, but he put, doesn't put pressure on his kids to win. It's always just play your best. Well, play your best. And, you know, if, if they come up short and they played their best, you know, the other team's just better. Um, you know, and I think that created a looseness uh, and a swagger um, and all that. And so I think that, you know, that type of culture in college football, uh, if you look around at who's successful, you know, that kind of culture exists. I think it exists at Ohio State and Clemson. Uh, I think it exists, uh, you know, Alabama, I think is is sort of, you know, with the, you look the way Nick Saban's kind of, revamped his offense and then they're playing a lot looser and, and all that. And, you know, I, I think there's still a lot of hard work that goes on at Bama. And I think there's a, the organization down there is, you know, about as close to professional as you can get, but, you know, they also, you know, they also are having fun. Bama's Bama's players are having a lot of fun. Offense is fun. So, you know, you kind of look at it and uh, you know, who's successful and then who's not. You know, who's underachieving, you know, uh, around college football? You know, that's the thing. I mean, even Dan Mullen at Florida, who he doesn't strike you as Mr. Fun Stuff, you know, but he's got his he's got his daddy Danny kicks on. And, you know, uh, I thought he made an ass out of himself during the Missouri game. But, you know, players respond sometimes to stuff like that, you know, and, and all that. So, you know, I think that's important, you know, and, and I think – you know, the individual culture at South Carolina is healthy. And I think, I hope that continues, but I think the team culture and, you know, reaching each other is very important. People, you know, talking to Eric Kimry, people all, all the time ask him, how does South Carolina go from 0 and 11 to 8 and 4? Well, it's very well documented. Lou Holtz, the whole offseason said, you know, these guys don't, don't like each other. They don't trust each other. They don't know each other. And it just took a lot of team bonding. Uh, and then they went out and turned it around and winning got contagious and uh, started four and oh, finished eight and four that with the Outback Bowl. Um, and, and so that's, that's kind of the situation there. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's really hard, you know, because there's not a whole lot of obvious with, with Muschamp, you know, you look and, and, and you can all, you know, with some coaches, it's like, ah, you know, their players were, uh, coddled and entitled, or ah, uh, you know, their players were beaten to the ground, or ah, uh, you know, they they recruited guys with bad character, or ah, uh, you know, they just uh, they just couldn't evaluate talent. 
But you go through Muschamp and it, it's like you go to check the boxes, yes or no, and, and you come out with a whole lot of maybes um, in a lot of these areas. So uh, so the point is, you know, I know I endorsed Muschamp last time uh, for the job, and, uh, you know, it just didn't work out. So I'll own it. I was wrong. Uh, it was not a hire that worked out. I don't want to say it was a bad hire because I think a lot was accomplished sort of from the foundational perspective of South Carolina. You know, kind of behind the scenes, they laid a good foundation uh, in terms of infrastructure and stuff like that, which I don't think Spurrier was a big fan of and, you know, it was probably never gotten done. I mean, they, you know, it's, it's a modern operation now, which is good because that means less work for the new guy. Uh, but, you know, Muschamp didn't win enough games. And that's the bottom line. And I'll own endorsing him. Uh, and that's why I'm not endorsing anybody this time. <laughs> I'm going to uh, tell you why I think a number of the candidates would work. Um, and uh, just go through it like that. I, I honestly like all these guys that, that are in the mix as far as when you evaluate coaches. I, I think, you know, these days there's no sure thing. Uh, you know, I, who would have thought Jim Harbaugh would be struggling at Michigan or Scott Frost uh, at this point at Nebraska or Chip Kelly, 8-18 eight and 18 at UCLA, you know, and, and then you look around and, you know, Dan Mullen was Florida's third choice, but it's clear he's probably the best choice for that job. You know, you, you kind of look and, you know, you see Kirby Smart at Georgia who's, you know, doing okay, but, I mean, they've lost two games this year already. You know, and lost the Florida game again, man. They were, they were about to turn that series around, and then Gators got them. Uh, so, you know, you, you just sort of look around, and, and look. I'm, I'm not saying Kirby was not has not been a success. I mean, playing for a national championship and doing all that is uh, obviously 2017 was a special season. You, you win at Notre Dame, you win the Rose Bowl, uh, which Georgia, you know, SEC teams don't get to go to the Rose Bowl all the time. Uh, so that's special. And then playing for a national title and coming close uh, in your home state in Atlanta, that's a special season, no matter how you, how you look at it. But, you know, look at these guys that hadn't worked, that, that haven't worked out that were considered sure things. I mean, Tom Herman is five and two at Texas. They've been getting better lately, but you know, you can't tell me that he wasn't a guy, the, the number one guy for that job. I mean, heck, he was about to go to LSU, you know, Herman, and the fact that he's kind of struggling out there, that's, you know, that just kind of shows you, you know. I mean, who would have thought when Kevin Wilson left Indiana that when they promoted Tom Allen, all of a sudden Tom Allen's one of the best coaches in the country? I mean, literally, look at Indiana. I mean, so, so you just never know. So, so that's that, – I would encourage people to realize that, that, you know, none of these – all of these guys could work out. None of these guys could work out. Um, honestly, if I went back in time, uh, I've had a time machine, I, I'd probably go and, you know, get past security and kidnap Ray Tanner, <laughs> uh, get him on a, my, my brother's jet that he flies. My brother's a, a private pilot, jet pilot, and fly him to Philadelphia, take him to Temple and make him hire Matt Rule. <laughs> and, and Matt Rule was at Temple and probably would have taken the South Carolina job for sure at the time. Uh, but no, who, who knew? Who knew Matt Rule was going to end up being one of the best coaches in football? I mean, the guy, 
Uh, you know, say what you, I know some of you are Panthers fans, but say what you want. I think, I think he's got it heading in the right direction and God, what he did at Baylor, you know, Baylor's program was in, on the ash heap, you know, it was, it was awful. Uh, and he, he got there and had an awful year, two and 10, but then two years later, they're in the big 12 title game and, and Baylor, you know, pr- prior to Art Bryles, that was just not a good job. So I think that, uh, I think when you look at it like that, you know, Matt Rule, you know, of all the guys that were out there in 2015, you, you probably go back and say, hey, Matt Rule, that could be the guy. And I could make a case for Matt Campbell at Toledo too, but he's at Toledo. So, and, and Carolina had some roster issues. And, and so I get it. I mean, I, I get it. But, you know, you got to own it. You know, Ray's got to own that decision. I've got to own uh, getting behind it like I did. And defending it like I did uh, up until the Tennessee game last year, when I kind of felt like at that point this just wasn't going to work. Um, and so this time around, I'm, I'm going to let everybody do their job and interview, and uh, I'm just going to analyze a number of candidates uh, and, and and you know not endorse. I guess you know n- nobody's getting my endorsement publicly at least <laughs> uh, this time around. All right, so you look at it, and there's a lot of questions about a lot of the candidates. But there, are, there's no more, none more polarizing right now. If you look around, than Shane Beamer. Shane is five to one Vegas odds to get the job. Uh, Nap- Billy Napier's number one. Hugh Freeze is number two. Napier's three to one. Freeze is four to one. Shane's five to one. Jamie Chadwell from Coastal Six. I don't know that that's any kind of order. Uh, I think the odds makers usually kind of get some intel sometimes, but sometimes they don't. Um, but I, I do think that, uh, you know, when you look at it, uh, you know, that's that's probably in your mind right now, the pecking order. I will caution, there are, you know, 20 plus applicants or, or, or potential candidates out there. You know, Eric B. Enemy was mentioned the other day, uh, I think Brian Johnson, the offensive coordinator at Florida, is a guy that could get a job. People are talking about Tony Elliott. Uh, you know, and if, if you're talking about the two Clemson coordinators, you know, Tony Elliott over Brent Venables, you know, I, I would have to say. Um, not just And not just because Tanner wants an offensive-minded coach. Uh, I think, you know, Venables, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe he's waiting for – I don't know what he's waiting to open. I, you know, <laughs> to be honest, I think Venables will be a, he'll be a heck of a head coach someday. But uh, you know, I think for what South Carolina needs, if you're looking at one of those two things, it's probably Tony Elliott. So there's 20 something in the job. So uh, you know, that's that's something to consider when you when in your mind you're thinking this is a Shane Beamer Billy Napier battle to the end. I think you know it could end up being one of those two guys very likely. But but you just never know what's going to happen. All right, so so the South Carolina job. You talk to coaches around the country, and here's what they think: tough to win. I've uh, never gotten it done, but a good job with good facilities, great fan support. And the quote is: if you win eight games there a year, they will name the stadium after you. I think that obviously is a fair assessment of South Carolina. When you look at the history, 
I think it's a fair assessment of South Carolina when you look at the teams they have to compete against. And I think it's a fair assessment of South Carolina when, when you're, you're considering the loyalty that the fan base has to the program. I mean, Gamecock fans aren't ridiculously ridiculous about, you know, winning eight games a year. They're, they're generally supportive uh, of the program when, when that happens. Uh, I do think this. Uh, I think that is a narrative that the University of South Carolina needs to roundly reject. It, it, this is a program that under Steve Spurrier, who did not wave a magic wand just because he's Steve Spurrier. We've gotten into the things, uh, the culture of Spurrier, you know, th- th- that, that kind of allowed them to, to be propelled to those, those seasons. Um, but the, you're looking at a program that, you know, was one win away and really some freak things happening over the course of a season and uh, an imbalanced, unfair SEC schedule. Uh, in 2011 and 2012 from winning five straight divisions in the SEC. You know, and everybody's like, well, the East was down. Well, the East is still down. (laughs) I mean, you know, yeah, Georgia's recruiting rankings are four spots higher, but that doesn't mean anything. They're still performing about like they performed under Mark Rick. And Florida's caught lightning in a bottle, and they're really good this year. And I don't see – Dan Mullen slipping the way that Jim McElwain, Will Muschamp, Ron Zook did. Uh, and they very well may be back to national power status. But those are two teams out of seven. You know, it's not like the SEC West was in the middle part of the, the 2010s where everybody's good. And I think the West is going back there really, really soon. So you're in the East. So – you know, you, you need to roundly reject this, let's just win eight games, because it's a lie. It's not true. And I think that at South Carolina, on the flip side, you know, you need a coach at South Carolina who knows South Carolina. Now, there are a lot of guys that do. South Carolina is a unique place. It's a unique job. It's a situation where, you know, you can't just roll in and, and apply the, the the Bama plan and make things work. You know, think about the history. Um, you know, think about the more with less theory that I laid out. You know, the guys that have been successful at South Carolina are guys that have a track record doing more with less. They've been at programs that, that are, you know, either not as good as South Carolina or similar. You know, Jim Carlin was at West Virginia and Texas Tech. Joe Morrison won at New Mexico, you know. Sparky Woods was App State and was it there then there a tough time, but but App State's a pretty good program. There, there was no uh doing more with less there as far as their historical average. And he was behind Furman some years in that league. You know, Brad Scott, his entire deal was coaching under Bobby Bowden at Florida State when Florida State was one of the best programs in the country, if not the best. You know, Lou Holtz did win a national title at Notre Dame, but he also coached at Minnesota and won. He took William and Mary to a bowl game, and he had one of the best records in the history of NC State football while he was the coach at those three schools, more or less. Everybody's like, well, Steve Spurrier coached at Florida, and you know they were a monster and had lots of talent. Yes, they did, but before he got there, they had won zero SEC championships. Zero. 
He got there in 1990. And before that, he won an ACC title at Duke. And before Cutcliffe, you know, nobody else could figure that out. And Duke is not a great – it's the worst job in the ACC. It's below Wake Forest in terms of support for football, difficulty, all that good stuff. So, Will Muschamp, his big college jobs – you know, besides early on at Eastern Kentucky, Valdosta State, whatever, his big college jobs were at LSU, Texas, Florida as the head coach, and Auburn. And those two teams since 2000 have won a combined six national championships. That's over a fourth of the total national championships in the past 20 years during a time when Alabama is dominant. You know, we, we haven't seen – and and Clemson – you know, we haven't seen a two-team dynasty like Clemson and Bama, and it'll probably be them again this year, in a quite some time in college football. So those schools have won six, you know, compared to Clemson and Bama the last 20 years. So, you know, what's Will Muschamp's plan for the Gamecock program? I mean, you know, he's never been someplace like that. You know, yeah, he's got great experience, but – you know, there's certain things you're kind of used to at, at, at different schools that are not similar to what goes on at South Carolina. And that includes the state. You know, it's, it's a unique place. You know, it's different. And so you have to have a guy that's done more with less. And you, and you have to have a guy that rejects the win eight games and they'll build a statue for you. What you need is a guy with a grand vision – for the program and not just for any program, not just for, okay, I'm a rising coach. Here's my plan. Here's what we're going to do. And I'm going to go interview for five jobs. And and this is my plan. What you need is somebody with the knowledge and the vision and the plan to not only get South Carolina out of the hole they're currently in, but to win championships at South Carolina. Now you say, well, that's probably impossible. No, it's not. You know, it, it was, what, 10 years ago when, you know, South Carolina could have won five straight SEC East titles. And if you win the SEC East, you're going to be in the hunt for the SEC championship because all you got to do is win one game. And then if you're in that hunt, you're in the hunt for the playoff, period. Sometimes you can lose that game and be in the hunt for the playoff, you know, and people are like, well, lightning in a bottle, Marcus Lattimore, Clowney, whatever. Yeah, sure. They got they signed some really good guys from, from within the state. But, you know, the state, last time I checked, they're still playing high school football and they're still really good players. And South Carolina, despite Clemson's rise, is still at least competitive for some of those guys. Jordan Burke, Zach Pickett, you know, Carolina could get it in. Clemson passes on a lot of guys. You know, and you still got North Carolina, Georgia, and Florida to recruit from. And you can evaluate well. You know, Clemson, and I'll use this as an example, in 2016 when they won their first national title, go check the starters on that team. Yeah, Deshaun Watson and Christian Wilkins were two of the most highly regarded guys in the country. Uh, but, you know, Mike Williams and Jordan Leggett and Hunter Renfro and Wayne Gallman weren't weren't. And you look at Clemson, and you have to use this comparison because, you know, I, I think what Clemson has done is maximize their program. And I know they're in the ACC, 
and I know people are screaming that right now and it's a different situation, but I'll reference you to what I just said about the SEC and the SEC East and, you know, South Carolina for five years was in contention and probably a couple of, they were the best team in that division a couple of those years, but because of their West opponents and Georgia's West opponents, Georgia went to the dome. So you look at Clemson, you know, that's a school that, you know, has had success in football. They care about football. They've won three national championships. The first national championship was won by Danny Ford. Danny Ford was an internal promotion, a promotion from within. He was the line coach, and he he turned him into a national power. You know why? Because Danny Ford understands Clemson and understands what makes that place special and what makes it unique and how you can win there. So Danny Ford gets fired. Shocked it. I was a kid in the upstate. Shocked everybody. Danny Ford gets fired. Okay. Uh, they bring in Ken Hatfield, who was had it rolling in Arkansas. Arkansas used to be a, a blue blood program playing in the Southwest Conference. They, they hire Ken Hatfield. He doesn't work out. You know, so then they kind of try to dip back and you know, hire a guy like Tommy West, who's, you know, he he was at least on Danny's staff, but he wasn't Danny. Uh, and he comes back and, you know, that doesn't work out. Okay. So then they go and they hire the number one up and they hired their Tom Herman with Tommy Bowden. You know, Tommy Bowden went undefeated at Tulane. And then that didn't work out. Tommy did a lot of good things, but couldn't even win the division in the ACC. So you're talking about 17 years, no ACC title, no ACC titles. Forget national. They were a Peach Bowl team. They were happy going to the Peach and Gator Bowl every year. And then here comes uh, Tommy getting fired because he lost to Wake Forest again, and they promote this guy named William Christopher Sweeney. Dabo had been on staff for a couple of years. Dabo had, had watched watched it and, and studied it. And – appreciated the culture there. He appreciated what Clemson was and also what Clemson could be. And it wasn't perfect to start with. He gets out there, he, you know, they lose the Gator Bowl. Then the next year he wins the division. And then the next year they slip and he has to make changes, but he had a vision for where he wanted to go and he did it. People ask me all the time, why did he fire Billy Napier? Because Napier's in the mix for the job because he had a different vision uh, as far as where he wanted to go with the offense. And that's fine. It worked. He hired Brent Venables, uh, who helped that side of the ball. And they kept recruiting through a five-game losing streak to South Carolina. They just kept their head down. Uh, they celebrated the accomplishments they had, and they kept recruiting, and they kept expanding the facilities. Uh, and, and the vision came to life in a big way. You know, Dabo Sweeney, he, he, when he had his resume, he couldn't point to coordinating an offense that, you know, had 8,000 yards or whatever in a season. He couldn't point to a defense that, you know, led the, the country in rush defense. He couldn't point to working for Nick Saban. He didn't work for Gene Stallings, you know. He was, he was, a, he was at one blue blood school, Alabama, and he was, he was selling real estate. But he understood, just like Danny Ford, what it took to win at Clemson. South Carolina's never had anybody like that. Steve Spurrier knows how to win, you know, and he won, and he was good at it. 
but and he and he figured out how to win at South Carolina. But he's Steve Spurrier. Same with Lou Holtz. You know, the closest thing to somebody that, that's been at South Carolina that said, okay, I understand South Carolina, and here's how we're going to get it done, is Joe Morrison, who really re- revolutionized the program. There's a reason people still think highly of him. And even when you're talking about success, he, he only went to three bowls in six years and had three losing seasons, two losing seasons. Five and six. No, three. 85 was a losing season, too. And so I think that when you're talking about South Carolina right now, you know, you need a coach that knows how to get it done at this specific program, that has a vision and a plan, and and that's not just there because it's a big SEC job, and that's not just there to want to win eight games, and that's not just there to – you know, because you're going to make four or five million dollars at some point and, and you keep fans happy. It's not just there, you know, re- trying to replicate Nick Saban's program at Alabama, which I don't think people can replicate. I think that doesn't work. Uh, and, and before you guys think that I'm saying that's what Billy Napier would do, I, the, Napier's different. You know, Saban's offensive guys are different. Look at Lane Kiffin. <laughs> that's different. Uh, and so I, I think you need a guy that, that has a proven track record of knowing how to do more with less in terms of overachieving, you know, evaluations, recruiting, and that understands the state and the culture of the state of South Carolina and that has a, a, a plan to make that vision happen. And, and that coach right now, if you want to check all those boxes, is Shane Beamer. He's got a big-time five-year plan that makes sense. I haven't read all the details. He can hire great coordinators. He understands that. He understands how to recruit in the Palmetto State. He has support from high school coaches all over the state, and so does Napier. But Beamer's got a lot, too. And when you talk about the players from the Spurrier era and how they responded, and this is what this is what kind of – inspired me to kind of sketch this out and really explain the Beamer candidacy. When you look at those players from the Spurrier era, from the glory days, that were like, no, we don't accept, you know, seven wins is a good year and, you know, nine wins. Once upon, One time I won nine games, so therefore this is great. You know, we don't accept that because that's not the standard that we set. They all love Shane Beamer. He recruited a lot of them, you know. And and I think those back connections uh, to that culture, uh, when you when you talk about, you know, his father and, and Frank Beamer, who he's worked for and grew up around and was part of that program at Virginia Tech and their rise, you know, I think that checks a box. Uh, I think, you know, working for Philip Fulmer at Tennessee as a GA – you know, when Philip Fulmer was the godfather of recruiting, that helps. I think being in a place like Mississippi State that was kind of awful when Sylvester Croom took over and they did build a bowl team before he came to South Carolina, I think that works. I think when you consider the fact that Shane Beamer, when Steve Spurrier put together his best staff with Jay Graham, Lorenzo Ward, Ellis Johnson, Shane Beamer was heavily involved with the hiring of all those guys. He's got a good Rolodex, man. Got a good Rolodex. People like him and want to work for him. Um, you know, and, and then you, you consider the fact that, too, you know, 
in spite of the fact that he, he he's a more with less guy, you know, you're also having a, a guy that's been observing two championship level programs and playoff teams, you know, and, and there's probably not a starker contrast than between Kirby smart and how he runs things at Georgia and Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. And I think that's positive. I think it's positive that you've been to places where, you know, they expect national titles because that's where you want to go. And I think that, you know, Shane Beamer is the type of coach, and, and I'm not saying that the other guys won't, that can come into South Carolina with a plan for South Carolina and a vision to where they want to take it beyond the, oh, eight wins in a statue. I think everybody needs to reject that right now. Um, they can put together a recruiting plan. They can put together a staff. They can tweak the culture right now, kind of turn back the clock a little bit to, you know, when the guys were having fun and expected to win um, and, and make an impact. There's no guarantees, but this is a great plan. You know, this is, this is a great candidate uh, in terms of, you know, what the program needs. And all you got to do is look up the road. And their two national championship winning coaches, you know, are, you know, took the job with zero and zero records. I think Beamer, I think Beamer is one to know. Uh, he did win the the bowl game as an you know interim for Virginia Tech. But you know, you look at it, and and, and, and you know, that's what happened up the road, and, and, and you know, at the other school in the state, and they had guys with fancy resumes that came in that didn't really work out. Um, and South Carolina, although it's not similar to Clemson culturally, it is just as unique. Trust me. You know, the whole state is unique. <laughs> and that's a good thing. It's a compliment. I, I wouldn't want to be from anywhere else in the country but South Carolina. You look at Virginia Tech, and, and I think that Shane Beamer would, would run things philosophy-wise a lot, you know, very similarly to his dad. Um, and don't don't go looking up the hokey offense in later years and, you know, tell me, oh, well, they went this way and that way, blah, 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 blah. You know, here's the baseline of it. You know, you, you have a blue-collar work ethic, you know. You recruit your state, um, you know, and, and I, that's, a, that's the biggest disappointment of the Muschamp era to me is they did better than anybody else at kind of, turn it over stones in the state, but it still wasn't good enough. Look at the wide receiver room. Well, you're going to recruit your state, uh, and, and you're going to believe there's enough talent, you know, to help your roster within the state, you know, just like you did at Virginia Tech. You're going to be good on special teams. You're going to take pride in it. You're going to have an aggressive attacking defense. Think about Bud Foster's defenses in the heyday. You know, it's going to be a unique scheme. And then you're going to be – wide open and multiple enough on offense to where it can fit the talent that you have. You know, think think about Virginia Tech and what they do with some drop back passers uh, and then Michael Vick and then Tyrod Taylor. You know, I mean, you know, you, you look at their quarterbacks over the years, that scheme was great. They throw the option out there. It was always based in having great backs and a good run game, but they could do anything. It could be multiple. And I think when you talk about, you know, Mike Bobo's offense, that's kind of how that is. But I think also when you talk about hiring somebody from the Lincoln-Riley tree, you know, there's lots of different types of quarterbacks that can play that. 
you know, or even, you know, let, let's say, let's say something crazy happens. It's not Bobo or Lincoln Riley style. And they kept Bobby Bentley. You know, that's an offense that you could do a lot of things out of with different styles of quarterbacks and different personnel. And, it, and they're all kind of based in the run game too, which is important in the SEC. So, so, so that's why Shane Beamer is a candidate and a stronger candidate than most of you think. And I know it's difficult because you, you're all, you're all, most of you are at the point, believe it when I see it because of the jaded nature of the last few years. Gamecock fans have been through a lot. Uh, but I do think that there is something to be said, you know, because everybody's like, well, who cares if he wants the job? You know, everybody wants the, you know, there's a lot of people that want the job. That just doesn't mean you hire him. Well, it was, it's not necessarily that he wants the job. And, oh, well, let's make him happy and pat him on the head and give it to him. It's his plan and his vision. He is a guy that believes you can win championships at South Carolina. And he, he's not a guy that looks at the job and goes, well, I'll have job security if I can win eight. And he's a young, relentless guy that works hard, that's, like I said, well-respected uh, across the state. Uh, and quite frankly, if South Carolina doesn't hire him, I think Virginia Tech will. But I'm told that his preference is to be back in Columbia. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think sometimes it, you, you, you want to kind of avoid coaching where your dad was a Hall of Fame coach, um, if you can. But, uh, you know, you look at it, and, and that's why, you know, like I said, not advocating. But that's why Shane Beamer is a candidate for the job. In closing, you know, and this is generally, this can apply to Shane Beamer or Billy Napier or whoever. You know, one of the important things about this job, South Carolina is going to have to punch above its weight class for a while. You know, scratch and claw and win games. You know, and and once you kind of establish that and establish your identity and your culture and you're, you're, you're moving toward your vision, you know, and you've won for a while, then I think, you know, recruiting picks up and it gets more realistic to close that gap, just like Clemson. You know, they, Clemson had to start somewhere, you know, and, and I use Clemson and Oregon as the two examples of programs that have ascended in the last 20 years. Oregon was way worse than South Carolina ever had, you know, you could ever imagine, <laughs> you know, they were bad. Uh, and it took Rich Brooks 17 years to build it. And then they handed it off to Mike Bellotti and he was a little better. And then Chip Kelly uh, and then Mark Helfrich and, and now Cristobal's out there. And, and it's a good program. It's, you know, even with getting away from their, their coaching tree that lasted almost three decades, the Ducks are in good shape as a program. They're a player. You know, Mario Cristobal went to Los Angeles and took all their players. I mean, that that's like South Carolina going into Atlanta and beating Alabama and Georgia on a bunch of guys, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and so that that was a slow build. Clemson's was, was quicker. And I think, you know, Clemson had some history to, to kind of hold on to and build from and the support to do that. Uh, but it's also, you know, again, it's a vision and it's a plan uh, to to make that vision into reality. You can dream all day long, 
But if you don't know how to get there and you don't have an idea of how to do it, then you're just dreaming. Um, but let's look at some other programs across the country. You know, Wisconsin, those guys at Wisconsin, all they do is run the ball and win. They have an identity. They're aggressive on defense. Uh, they run it. Uh, and they win. All they do is win. And there's probably five Division One prospects in that state on an annual basis that can play in the Big Ten. They have a huge walk-on program like Nebraska used to. They're basically the modern-day Nebraska I don't know if they'll ever get to those dominant type teams like Nebraska had under Tom Osborne, but you know, you play Wisconsin, you know, you're going to get hit in the mouth. Um, and there's, there's a lot of pride in what they do and they're consistent, you know, with the exception of Gary Anderson, you know, Barry Alvarez, Alvarez sort of started it. And, you know, then, then you kind of move forward with Brett Bielema who actually did win there before he took the Arkansas job. There was that Anderson period. Uh, and then they got Paul Chris back and, you know, nothing's changed. They can just keep on winning. You know, Kansas State under Bill Snyder, that was a different plan to achieve the vision because they went heavy junior college players and, you know, he had the secret sauce. Kansas State was was a team that, that should have played for a national championship a couple of times. They were right there knocking on the door, and they were god-awful. Losing his program in the country, you know, you think South Carolina's bad. You know, South Carolina is uh, – Alabama compared to Kansas State historically. So you look at that vision and how that took off, you know, these these overachieving programs. I think you can see kind of the beginnings of it at Indiana. I don't know if it's sustainable there because that's a way worse job than a lot of these jobs. But you can see the, the what they've done, you know, when you talk about overachievers right now. Indiana has to be the one that you got to point to. I mean, that's they're the third best job in a state that produces 10 to 15 players every year, then they got to share it with Notre Dame and Purdue. Uh, and all the other Big Ten, Michigan's right across the border, Ohio State's right across the border, you know. Uh, so, so you look at the great overachievers. I mentioned Virginia Tech and Frank Beamer. I mean, that was a program that was just eh, kind of so-so. Uh, and he rejected the notion you couldn't win big there. And they not only won big in the Big East, they went to the ACC and immediately rolled off four champ- four conference championships. That was before the rise of Clemson. But that's still good. You know, the Hokies got it done over a period of time. All those guys had visions and plans and rejected any preconceived notions about the job. And I think that's important when you talk about you know, what the heck they need to look for in a new coach. And I just explained why Shane Beamer fits that, and I I believe that. uh, And and I understand, you know, that if some people don't, because it's, it's, you know, people at this point, they want kind of tangible proof. And and, and I get that. It's hard to have faith in something you can't see, although, you know, a lot of us do that in our personal lives every day. But I understand, and, and I'm not, going to disagree with anybody that says, you know, it's too big of a risk or, or whatever. Uh, but I do think it's important to have somebody that, that has that kind of vision for the university of South Carolina. Um, and, and so that's important, you know, so, so looking at all those other programs that have, that have overachieved uh, because South Carolina, like I said, they're going to have to punch above their weight class for a little bit, you know, until you can kind of get it rolling. Clemson did the same thing guys. You know, uh, they they signed some five-star talent, but 
like I said, go look at the two deep for the 2016 national championship game. And look at the guys that made plays in that game and made plays for them all season. You know, Mike Williams was a, I think he was rated lower than Brian Edwards coming out of Lake Marion. You know, Wayne Gallman, everybody thought he was going to play linebacker. You know, Hunter Renfro would be a cliche because every time there's a walk-on, people are like, well, think about Hunter Renfro. <laughs> Hunter Renfro is the exception, not the rule. But, yeah, look at that. Look at Jordan Leggett or Leggett, three-star kid out of the sleepy beach town of Navarre, Florida, on the Gulf Coast. If you've ever been there, it's nice. You know, their defensive backs, a lot of them were just good in-state kids uh, that Whammy didn't want when he was at Carolina. You know, Ben Bolware, you know, that guy was a low four-star guy, but, boy, I, I, th- I think he played like a high four a lot of the time. You know, Shaq loss. I mean, you know, the, the list goes on and on. You can you can go back. You guys, don't tell me you guys don't pay attention to Clemson because I know you do. That's the second team. If, you know, if, if I quizzed you on college football teams, unless you grew up like a Notre Dame fan so you can still keep up with them or whatever, if you're from the state of South Carolina, you grew up a Gamecock, then, uh, you know, the other team you keep up with is Clemson. And it's vice versa, you know. So, you know, look at that. You know, look at how Oregon was built. And look, and Clemson too, look, they're different now. They're different on both sides of the ball. You know, they're not trying to run Nick Saban's defense. Brent Venables will just blitz all day if you ask him. And then, you know, he's versatile enough to where, you know, the the four-man front wasn't going to work for him last year, so he switched to three because he he adapts to fit his personnel. That's why he's the best defensive coordinator in the country. You know, Tony Elliott picked up where uh, Chad Morris left off, and they still kind of do the same things conceptually, but he's added to it, and he calls a little different, and it's good. It's be- probably better than what Morris did. They have better players, you know, but 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 it all aligns – you know, with Dabo's vision and his plan to get there. And so I think that's very, very important. And I and I I feel bad, you know, talking about Clemson because I know that's South Carolina's arch rival, but that's really the only good example besides Oregon that's out there, you know, in terms of a, a team that went from, well, we hope to compete in our division or our conference to national title contender. Uh, Oregon hadn't won it, but they played for it twice in the last 10 years. You know, which, which I think you'd have been la- – in 1981, uh, the first time when Clemson actually won their first title, if you'd have said, well, about 30 years, Oregon's going to be playing for national titles, you'd laugh your butt off. <laughs> um, and, and so there's that. Now, now I'll say this too because some of you are out there going, well, South Carolina is not Clemson or Oregon. You know, Nike money and ACC and all that. No, that's true. But the the theory uh, and the opinion remains the same. You, you got to have a vision and you got to have a plan to get there. And you got to reject, you know, another thing Steve Spurrier did, and like I said, he he's Spurrier and he's, you know, it was him that was kind of guiding the, guiding the train. And we, we've, we've realized that that it wasn't really just Spurrier's play calling, <clears throat> which was the subject of a lot of angst and consternation. Uh, it was really like how he ran his program in terms of 
you know, and not like the recruiting thing or the staff thing, like how, how his players, you know, what he established with his players, you know, that, and that, that's a, that's a secret sauce there. I mean, everybody's always wondering, you know, why Peyton Manning was up 27 to three in the swamp in 1995, I think. And, uh, you know, maybe he's 96 up 27 to three. Uh, and all of a sudden, final score was Florida 62, Tennessee 37. And, you know, the question, you know, oh, well, Spurrier started adjusting and dialing them up. Yeah, but, you know, his players, they just kept playing. Just keep playing. You know, no hanging of the head, none of that. Uh, and so, I, you know, you look back and, and Spurrier established that culture. Um, and, and I think that you, you got to do the same thing you know, in terms of your vision and your plan and how to get there and what you want to establish. Uh, I think that's very, very important and it's applicable. And, you know, South Carolina is not Clemson, um, you know, and, and they're not Oregon. It's different and it's unique. Uh, and then my point here too, and I'll close with this, is that Steve Spurrier is the one coach. And I know Lou Holtz came in and said, our goal is to win the national championship and, all that, but but his goal was really to turn the program around and pass it to his son. You know, Steve Spurrier rejected the eight wins is good enough thing, you know. Now, those 11-win teams historically were, were great and all that, but he still talks about the fact he wished he'd have gotten to the championship game a couple more times. He, you know, don't cheer for us when we lose after the Auburn game in 06, you know. He he's really the only coach. He and Joe Morrison are the only two coaches I think in the modern era that said, "I don't care what the history is. We're going to build a monster." You know, unfortunately, Joe's career got cut short and probably would have been had he not died anyway because of the steroid scandal. But you know, you, you got to just kind of look at that man. You know that that's very very important. I think you can hire great coordinators and have the X's and O's and you have guys that are, that could go recruit and, and all that, you know, and I think Will Muschamp had all that, but I, I think, you know, the more with less thing is non-negotiable. And then a guy that rejects the eight wins in a statue that has a championship level goal and vision and a plan to get there at the University of South Carolina. And I, and I know that – I know Shane Beamer has that. Um, and I'm, I'm going to talk about Billy Napier tomorrow. Uh, and I'm sure he has a great plan too, you know. I'm, I'm sure he's – you know, Billy Napier was, was at Bama and Clemson. I, I'm sure he's not just looking at the job going, well, you know, let's win eight and they'll build a statue and then I'll go someplace else. <laughs> I, I think he's looking at it like – uh, an opportunity because, you know, he was at Clemson when South Carolina was on the rise. Uh, a lot of recruiting battles fought there. He knows the state, um, you know, all that good stuff. But we'll talk about Billy tomorrow. You know, today I just wanted to get into Shane and then I'll get into Hugh Freeze and, you know, whoever else pops up on the radar. Uh, all right. So that's it. Today's episode of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast is complete. Be sure to catch me on JB and Goldwater. Man, the JB and Goldwater shows, you know, taking fire or catching fire, taking fire, catching fire uh, on the Big Spur. Big thread about it today. Join the Big Spur for a dollar. 
Uh, or if you want the annual membership, it's 50% off. The annual membership, you get to go to other teams' message boards and read that. It's a great deal. Uh, if you want to kind of spy on the other teams or whatever, uh, that's awesome. Uh, but we're happy to have you on thebigspur.com and also happy to have you here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. I did not get to mailbag questions today. Uh, tomorrow I will open the show uh, with mailbag questions, and, and I may – you know, it depends on kind of how my day goes because yesterday the, the phone was blowing up and today it's been kind of quiet so far. Um, I, I may do a mailbag specific episode just because I know you guys uh, have some questions. Actually, hold on. Hold on. Before we go, before we go, and I hope nobody turned it off. I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, the some of the Twitter well, there's one Twitter question from Chris and so uh, I I uh, I'm going to uh, read this and answer this one for Chris because we only had one Twitter question uh, again you can tweet to at the Big Spur Pod please follow that Twitter account Chris says I saw that Chris Peterson might be interested in the job any truth to this and what would you think of the hire well Chris Peterson you know my guy Josh Pate was talking about a guy and you know, kind of off the radar uh, and, and asked him who he was referring to. And he said, Peterson. And then I was, I casually mentioned it on the board. You know, I didn't even say his name. I said, you know, retired abruptly recently out of region uh, and everybody guessed it and, and they ran with it. So, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, when you look at it, it's a deal that I think Josh was just kind of maybe hoping or something or, or, you know, cause you hear Peterson's name sometimes out there. He was in the mix for Mississippi state a couple of years ago. Um, so, you know, I don't think there's any legs to it. What would I think of the hire? I would think it would be a, a slam dunk. He's one of the best coaches in football. Um, you know, does more with definitely fits the more with less category you know so there's that all right now i'm finally going to go again keep those mailbag questions coming inside the gamecocks at gmail.com i'll get to those tomorrow tweet at the big spur pod this is jc sherbert have a great day